The Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is where the Big Blue Nation comes for the latest news and views on the Cats. The show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Interact with the show now by tweeting at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. Call us at 877-904-1080. Now, the voice of your Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. Friday edition of the Leach Report. And hopefully uh, we'll get a little warmer weather over the next couple of days. Get rid of some of this ice. I think it's supposed to get maybe above freezing either today or tomorrow. Uh, So we'll keep our fingers crossed on that. And if you are traveling up for the basketball game tomorrow between Kentucky and Auburn, um, hopefully it'll be a better commute for you. Uh, 1 o'clock Eastern time tip tomorrow. And it'll be a rematch of a game that Kentucky lost 66-59 to down on the Plains last month. We'll talk about it today. Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News joins us on Fridays to talk uh, Kentucky and National College Hoops. And Brandon Ramsey, uh, former college coach, uh, writes for a KSR now. Uh, he'll join us with his take on the Cats. Um, I want to talk about his post on some things Kentucky did differently offensively the other night that uh, worked well for them. So we'll talk about that here in just a bit. Let's get to the Wildcat news of the day. And it starts with a big win for the Kentucky women's basketball team last night. They played at Rupp Arena and beat number 16 Tennessee convincingly, 71-56. to Kentucky's now 14-5 and and 7-4 and in the league. They were 10 of 20 on threes, got 24 points off Tennessee turnovers. I think there were 16 of those. We had Darren Hedrick on yesterday, and a couple of things we talked about uh, played out here. One was the fact that Kentucky came out really flat uh, early in the game that they lost convincingly down in Knoxville a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about that with Darren, and he thought that they would it would be just the opposite. And, in fact, it was as Kentucky uh, played well early in the game. We also talked yesterday about the fact that Kentucky maybe was relying too much on Ryan Howard. And last night, her teammates uh, certainly uh, asserted themselves. Christy or Chastity Patterson had uh, 21. Jasmine Massengill has season-high 11. Very balanced attack for Kentucky. Howard had only eight points. However, she also had seven rebounds. She had seven steals and six assists. So it was a little more of the balance, I think, that they uh, Coach Elsie uh, would like to see. So a huge win for Kentucky. Uh, we uh, talked about maybe it could be a chance for a, a reboot with a disappointing loss to Ole Miss last week and then a weekend off, and they certainly took the opportunity to refocus and play one of their best games of the season. So uh, congrats to U.K. women's basketball on that win. The Kentucky men take on Auburn tomorrow. In the first game at Auburn, uh, Kentucky turned it over 18 times and gave up 16 offensive rebounds. So if you're looking for places where the Wildcats need to improve, those two areas would certainly be a good start. Uh, Also, it was uh, Sharif Cooper's second game back for Auburn, and Kentucky did a nice job defending him. Uh, He held him to 11 points, uh, used their length to uh, bother him, and he also had four turnovers in the game. Um, did make some big plays late, but uh, the, the, when the game turned in Auburn's favor, it was Alan Flanagan who was doing the damage for the Tigers, and he finished with 21-9. and nine. So he's a guy that will have to be pretty much a focal point of Kentucky scouting report for this rematch tomorrow. 
Uh, again, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. I think coverage, well, no, coverage will start at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on the U.K. network with uh, Dave Baker and the Goose uh, Jack Givens on the uh, Countdown to Tip-Off show tomorrow for Kentucky and Auburn. Uh, let's see, a couple of other notes here. U.K. football has added Scott Woodward as a quality control coach, this according to a report uh, first in the Cats Paws, and it's noteworthy because he was the backup QB to Liam Cohen, the new offensive coordinator, when they were at UMass. So they go back a ways. T.J. Collette named preseason All-SEC by the league's coaches, but Kentucky was picked to finish last in the preseason coaches poll in the SEC East. U.K. swimming and diving ranked number three in the nation. That is the highest ranking ever for that program. And U.K. softball begins its season today against Samford down in Alabama. They've adjusted the schedule because of some weather issues, so instead of playing one game today and two tomorrow, they'll play two games today starting at 2 Eastern and then one tomorrow, and those games you can find on ESPN+. Links to the stories that we talk about can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. We're coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio here on this Friday edition of the Leach Report. Brandon Ramsey from KSR coming up next. A little later, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. Our show is served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. Be right back. Find out more about the voice of the cats and get great coverage of the Big Blue at TomLeachKY.com. Quarter past the top of the hour. It's the Leach Report, and we go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Brandon Ramsey from Kentucky Sports Radio. Uh, and, Brandon, you've been on with us before, but just for a refresher for our listeners, you come to uh, what you're doing for KSR from a coaching background, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I spent five years as an assistant coach at a couple of different Division three schools. Um, so, yeah, I've coached for uh, for a number of years before I got into writing about basketball. wanted to uh, talk at the start about some things Kentucky did offensively the other night. Um, they had been, I thought, showing improvement in recent games when they could get out in transition, throw the ball, get stops or force turnovers and get out uh, and throw the ball ahead and, and score in transition. But they were still struggling uh, in their half-court offense when they couldn't get the stops to, to come down and have to go against set defense. I thought this was as good as, as they looked in that area um, in the latter stages of the second half, uh, maybe all season. And uh, you wrote about some of this in your post uh, the next day about some things that uh, they did a little differently. So elaborate on those, if you would. Yeah, I mean, it, in the half court, some of the things that they're doing better now is they're they're just getting better spacing, first of all, and then secondly, they're able to get some easier looks at the basket because they're going to some more ball screening action, which is something that I've personally been lobbying for all season. I just thought that it would help open up the floor a little bit, and you really saw it down the stretch there against Arkansas. Um, obviously, unfortunately, it was still a loss, but when Kentucky started going to that side ball screen with Devin Askew and Olivier Saar, Obviously, we saw Sar start to hit some threes as well, and I think that could be a valuable addition uh, 
down the stretch of this season, but also Askew was able to make a couple plays off of the dribble because they had to start respecting Olivier Sars' uh, pick-and-pop ability. There was another play where Askew drove it in all the way and finished with his left hand, and one of the things I noticed there was B.J. Boston was in the corner. Now, a, a couple weeks ago, B.J. Boston's defender would have sagged all the way into the paint and tried to stop Askew's drive because Boston was shooting, you know, 14% from three or whatever it was. Well, in, in the Arkansas game, I think he was four for five, so they had to stay out on him, kind of respect that three-point shooting, and that allowed Askew to make that layup. So the, 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 there's just some little things like that that you, know, you, you have to dive into the film a little bit more, um, which I understand not all the fans are going to do, obviously, <laughs> but the, the, there certainly are a lot of small improvements on the offensive end, and some of it's schematic, but some of it are is honestly just guys starting to make some shots, and and I think the game's finally slowing down uh, for some guys like Devin Askew, especially, and then BJ Boston as well. I don't know what you were doing in 2011, but what you're describing seems to me as, as I remember some similarities with how they came to find their most effective way to to play uh, some some actions late in that season was yeah Josh Harrelson who was not a classic back-to-the-basket five-man, but was very comfortable facing the basket. So they came to do a lot with him and Brandon Knight. Now, you don't have anybody of Brandon Knight's ability, but um, you know that, that became very effective, uh, those ball screens between the two of them. Right, yeah. yeah, And, and the, the, there really are some similarities there in terms of um, it, at least the improvement and sort of figuring out mm-hmm. what to do offensively. And, and, and the second piece of it offensively for Kentucky has been with opening some things up and allowing guys to attack the basket with a little bit more freedom, Kentucky's gotten to the foul line a lot more here recently. Um, I, I just crunched some numbers last night, and uh, we're making uh, 75.7% of our free throws in the last five games. Leading up to that, we were just under 70%, um, and, and we're getting to the line a lot more, too. Um, in these last five games where our scoring has has improved and we've scored over 70 and four of the last five. Um, a lot of that has been attributed to just getting to the foul line and, and being able to convert there. And that's something we didn't do a very good job of both just getting there in terms of quantity of foul shots and then certainly converting them as well. We've improved in both of those areas recently. How much optimism can you um, rev up for yourself and for the BBN in the improvement that you're seeing with uh, respect to getting enough, um, to putting themselves in a position where you could see them making a run to an NCAA tournament bid in Nashville next month? Yeah. It, it's a really harsh question to, to, to answer, unfortunately, because you know, on one hand, I want to say that there is a lot of optimism because Kentucky has played so many close games, so many of which have came against good NCAA tournament teams. So there you think, well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for optimism because we've seen it on the court. You know, the, this team has been leading in the second half against almost every single team we've played, uh, especially here recently. We're starting to score in the 70s, even in the 80s, which certainly gives you a better chance to win, and they're against good teams that are going to play in the NCAA tournament. On the other hand, though, we're not winning any of these games. So... It's hard, it's hard to be too confident that you can make a run and win three or four games in a weekend when you're not winning any games on a given night right now. So it, you know, it, 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 
it's the it's the perfect example of whether you want to be glass half full or glass half empty because you can find the optimism in the fact that we're playing so many close games and you can be pessimistic because we're not winning any of them. It seems to be that uh, it's going to be a lot easier to to have that glass if not half full at least you know a third full if you could go you know four and two down the stretch five and one down the stretch you just they, to your point they have to find a way to to win games it seems simple but i mean you, you have to generate some confidence and some momentum and at some point um you know you just can't keep getting knocked down like they have been uh again against good teams uh you know played well enough to win but at some point you actually have to win to get that confidence absolutely absolutely yeah i mean it it, it comes down to this is something that i've talked about in the past with teams that i've been coaching that you know it, there comes a there comes a point where you either learn how to lose or learn how to win, and unfortunately, this team has done a lot of learning how to lose recently. And, and it's and it's just human nature that I'm sure these guys, when they get up eight in the second half and the other team go, goes on a run, you, you just kind of sag your shoulders and you say, "Here we go again." And you know, fans can sit there on the couch and say, "Like, well, you should never think that way." Well, it it's human nature in competition when you've when you've had it happens so many times so that i i do think to your point that if, if this team can win even just a few games down the stretch here i think that it can really turn things around going into the sec tournament that they've actually seen and felt themselves close out a few of these games we'll take a quick break here come back and uh, have one more segment with brandon and uh, talk a little more kentucky basketball as the cats get set for the rematch with auburn it's the leach report radio network we're served up by wild eggs of lexington Can't get to a radio? You can listen to us live on the web at talkradio1080.com. Now, back to the show. We're back to talk with Brandon Ramsey from uh, KSR on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. A couple of the uh, opportunities to make winning plays uh, came in the final seconds there. After they executed perfectly, they get a great, uh, look for boss for a mince that he makes to put them up one. Uh, Arkansas doesn't call a timeout, so they go right down the floor. And uh, Askew stays with his guy. Uh, Sar comes over, contests the shot, but then they give up the offensive rebound, and they gave up two of those in the last couple of minutes, uh, having only given up three all night up until that point. Yeah, it, the end of that game was was really frustrating for. for for a variety of reasons, but it it was too bad that it came down to a, a couple offensive rebounds like that because Arkansas came into the game, I believe they were 10th in the country in offensive rebounding, mm-hmm. and Kentucky at times this year, I mean, I, you just mentioned it earlier in the show about the, the, the offensive rebounds that Kentucky gave up to Auburn last time, um, but Kentucky hasn't always been a great defensive rebounding team this season. So it it, it was so encouraging throughout the game to see the Cats finish defensive possessions with a rebound and, and hold Arkansas to three offensive rebounds through about 38 minutes of gameplay. Uh, unfortunately, like you said, they, they got a couple late, and then you know everybody can make their own opinion of that last foul call. Um, but it, it is what it is. If we would have rebounded it, there would have not 
been a right. foul two calls. So yeah, I mean it, it, it was it was a bad call. <laughs> I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was. was. <laughs> but if you get the rebound, it wouldn't have uh, happened. So that's kind of uh, you, you could say uh, you can uh, have both opinions. You can uh, acknowledge it. Yes, too often there's not enough accountability for officials after games that frustrates fans to acknowledge that was a bad call. But um, there were other opportunities Kentucky had as well, including uh, the uh, last play. Uh, which they, uh, I saw in your uh, Twitter timeline, you uh, picked up on the ball was supposed to go to Boston. Yes, yeah, I mean, it, and one of the things I talked about, I, mean, I even had people texting me about the play, just asking my opinion on it, and uh, that's an out-of-bounds play that almost every coach in the country would practice in an end-of-game situation. Typically, it's hard to get it to the guards because they're going to be much more tightly guarded in that situation for for whatever reason bj boston ended up being open um and jacob Toppin just didn't get it to him so that that was mistake number one but uh, a lot of times you do end up throwing it to your big man at half court there just because a he's taller b normally isn't as guarded so you can get it to him then he's supposed to just turn and hit one of the guards running up the sidelines which davion mintz was also open yep. on the left sideline once sar caught the ball he should have turned and delivered it to him but you know, again, you're you're putting the ball in the hands of a seven footer at half court. So you know, the, the, there's only so much you can expect from them there. But it, it is a play I'm sure that they practiced, and it's well oh. great execution there. And 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 that's unfortunate. I know they practice it because they actually it's the same play they ran to get quickly the shot at Texas Tech last year, right before halftime. Exactly, uh, yeah. same exact yeah. play. And uh, what they it's it's a very well conceived play. Uh, where the guard, uh, I saw some, some fan posted something I was, I read somewhere where it was Askew's fault for running away from the ball. Askew run, runs away from the ball to clear out that side of the floor. So when you bring Boston around and you hit him in stride, he's got four seconds to drive it in space. So it's, uh, the problem was, uh, Jacob, uh, didn't deliver the ball to the guy who was supposed to throw it to. And probably the thing about practice is, I was saying yesterday, I'm guessing when they practice that, they, Practice it with Keon, and then probably the next option is Isaiah. And uh, Jacob may have not been in that position in a practice situation, or if, if so, not right, often. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what makes it tough is that yeah, I, I'm sure that he all of a sudden was thrown into a situation that they probably haven't practiced very much with him, and, and that he wasn't, you know, as ready for as as somebody like Keon or Isaiah Jackson or whoever else they might have taking the ball. Uh, yeah, that at, at no point this season. Did anybody, including himself, probably think that Jacob Toppin was going to be in with four seconds left? Brandon, we're out of time, unfortunately. Thanks for the time. We'll uh, have you back soon. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. We'll be right back on the Leach Report. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Tweet us at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. From the Clark's Puppet Shop Studio, it's the Leach Report. Second half of our show for this Friday as we bring on Mike DeCourcy via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can read him at SportingNews.com. See him doing bracket analysis for Fox Sports' college basketball coverage, uh, Big Ten Network 2. And um, Mike, we'll, uh, we'll start with uh, Kentucky and um, the most recent tough beat for the Wildcats in a season that has had uh, way too many of them. What was your take on what Kentucky did Tuesday night? You know, I thought they did a really nice job of coming back, which is something we hadn't 
we hadn't really seen from them before. The ability to to generate a, a lot of scoring opportunities in a short period of time to to cash in on those, to get stops that are needed to accelerate a comeback, and that that was that was a good thing to see from them. They had not done that before. Unfortunately for them. After they got the big three pointer, they were not able to get that final stop they needed. Uh, it was, it was, it, it, it's as if they are trying to explore every single way that one can lose a close <laughs> basketball game. And this was a totally new experience for them. Yeah, sadly, that is uh, true. They have, um, you know, just, uh, you, you think. At some point, uh, the ball is going to uh, going to bounce their way in one of those situations. Part of it, though, is you know you've got to, uh, as Cal said, you know, you've, uh, even if you uh, work hard, if you improve, you still got to go out and take it. And the you know the the missed shot was there to be rebounded, and they they right. didn't uh, rebound it there in that situation. Uh, had it could have gotten a shot at the end and, and couldn't execute their last play. So you know, uh, I'm sure you got some love from Kentucky fans on your tweet that Kentucky got homered at home. And they did get uh, a tough whistle, but uh, they had other opportunities themselves also. Oh, there's no question. And, and yeah, it, it, you're playing a team uh, that, that you, you certainly are capable of beating. And you also, the, the one thing that Kentucky had done well during the stretch, uh, the stretch of losses that preceded the current stretch of losses, the Alabama game in particular, uh, that one with an exclamation point, Missouri as well, uh, they had defended really well in those two games. And, and it, they had made, and obviously going, going back to the win against LSU had defended extremely well in that one as, as well. Uh, those are all very capable offensive teams and you held one to 69, one to 59 and one to 70, or excuse me, one to 75. Um, that you you had made real progress in the last two games. It that's the defense has not been as stout. The offense has been better. It certainly was much better in the Arkansas game, but the defense has slid a little bit. And I think that's that's somewhat the sign of a young team, uh, a team that isn't super confident. That while they're trying to work, okay, we got to really work on scoring enough points because we're holding teams to sixty some points and we still can't score enough to win. So let's really get better at offense, and then you get better at offense, and the defense goes. And that's you, know, I, I, you have to be able to be able to be a, a significant defensive team every time you take the floor, and then the offense you know, dictates how successful you are. Whether it's a you know on a, on a good team, it's uh, whether you win by a lot or a little, and on a team that's struggling, it's whether you have a chance to win or not. Uh, there's been some uh, talk lately that uh, Davian Mintz might take advantage of the opportunity to come back for another year uh, that the NCAA has given student-athletes, and I would think that would be a, a nice addition to have. Oh, absolutely. I think he has shown that he is very capable of playing Especially, especially in a secondary ball handling role, uh, a guy who can make a shot—that uh, the shot he made against Arkansas was remarkable. I mean, that was that was a high pressure shot. That wasn't one of those, uh, you know, three minutes left in the game, we're down by fifteen shots, and it, it goes in. And hey, look at me—you uh, know, it, it, that was that was we need this shot to win the game, and he nailed it. And so, I, and he and he has been a, he's been a reliable shooter for them. I think he'd he'd be a very valuable player to have 
return for next year. And I, I really do believe, Tom, that a big part of uh, uh, if you go through all of this and then don't go through and, and then don't come back to to, to get, reap the rewards of of the price you've paid. You've, you've, you've paid a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of cost to, to go through this, but there's a reward available next year. You'll be better. There, there, there are too many good players in the program and too many on the way in. And if you, if you're one of those guys that there's a reward out there, it's not always going to be five and 13. It, next season will not be like this. It, and it, it will be less like this the more players who have an opportunity to return take that advantage. Um, we can get deeper into this in a future show um, as far as looking to next season, but just a quick thought on, you know, you, uh, you think of what a, you know, a third-year Dick Richards looked like, what might a third-year Keon Brooks look like, assuming he comes back, and uh, we saw uh, Toppin hit a couple of threes the other night. Jacobs got some, uh, you know, he was expected to redshirt this year um, and get right. stronger. You, once he gets through a year in a weight, a normal year in a weight program, I could see him uh, having a lot of upside because I think he actually uh, is a guy, as I said, he made a couple of threes the other night. I could see him being a, you know, 33, 35% three point shooter with a little more strength in, uh, in another season. Right. And then when his minutes go up, into the low twenties, he becomes probably a five-six rebound a game guy mm-hmm. too, yeah. and I think he'd be a, again a very valuable piece to have. And you know, in a sense, guys who everybody's redshirting, everybody who wants to come back is redshirting. Uh, if you know, they, they, in, so there wasn't any need to have anybody sit out because right. th- this is a free year. So, so it's it there. There's the advantage of of getting the experience of playing at this level. I mean, now Jake is going to come back, and he's going to understand the, the demands of playing in the SEC. And that's, I think that will be better for him even than, it, than a typical redshirt year playing as a practice player would have been. And so I think he'll be a better player in 2021, 22 uh, than he would have been if, he, if this had been an ordinary year and he had been a practice player on a successful team. Let's get to a break. Mike DeCourcy's with us. Come back with one more segment on the Leach Report Radio Network, served up by Wild Eggs of Lexington. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at TomLeachKY. Sixteen away from the top of the hour. And I uh, was chatting with uh, Shannon, our producer, during the break, and I forgot to tell him to dial up a stick song because uh, Mike DeCourcy is uh, the greatest champion for sticks in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were overlooked again. <laughs> they were. Very disappointing. Uh, you know, th- that, that 70s um, progressive rock uh, group, uh, the series of bands, has been very uh, very disrespected by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame community. Uh, Genesis took a long while to get in. Rush took forever, uh, and and I, I do think that that Sticks and in, in, in Kansas deserve more consideration than they get. And it, it's a it's a period of, of rock and roll music that was very important, that influenced a lot of people, and 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 that was very popular. And I, you know, what I said on on Twitter was, and I don't I don't want to offend any Journey fans, but man. 
Sticks' music was way better than Journey's. I'm sorry. And I know Journey's was more popular, but uh, uh, Sticks was Sticks was the first group to have four consecutive platinum, al- platinum albums. And so it was it certainly, it was it was music that uh, that a lot of people bought into. And, and I, I know that that it ended badly. They, they, they released an album around 82 or 83 that it was called Kilroy Was Here that was kind of a concept album, and they did a tour on it, and it was a disaster. And and, and a lot of people remember that, and that's kind of why they... But you, you can't go to a band's worst episode and, and let it define that. I mean, I, I'm sure I so, can find some, some rough ones in some other great groups. That was Sticks 5 and 13 season? That was exactly <laughs> what it was. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's uh, talk a little... Uh, brackets, which uh, folks can see you do on Fox Sports on the weekend, and uh, you, um, I, I was looking back at uh, the '79 uh, tournament, uh, and the reason was it was one of my f- Kentucky didn't have a good season and ended up uh, similar to this year. They had to, their only chance to make it into the tournament that year was to win the SEC tournament, which was actually the first year it was brought back, and they nearly right. did it. Um, lost in in overtime in the championship game, um, and uh, but it was one of my favorite years as a college basketball fan because of uh, Magic and Bird and, and what they did that year. But it was fine. I went back and looked at the uh, tournament bracket yesterday, and here is here were the Elite Eight matchups: St. John's versus Penn, Michigan State versus Notre Dame, DePaul versus UCLA, Arkansas versus Indiana State, no Carolina. You know, no Kentucky, uh, no Kansas, uh, no Duke. Uh, so if you uh, are around long enough, things will, will cycle, everything will cycle back. But, uh, yeah. it, this sounds like this could, it seems like this could be a year where our, our Elite Eight matchups could look like something like that rundown. Oh, I think that's very possible. You know, I've been getting a lot of questions lately about the absence of the Blue Bloods from the, you know, when we had the top 25 come on, I think it was last week. It might have been this week. Uh, uh, that, that for the first time since 61, basically all the blue bloods were out. And, and so I've been getting a lot of questions about that and trying to find a common thread. And I don't really, I can't really find one that, that ties all of them together. That, that everything, everybody's been a little bit different, had a little bit different factors. But I, I've been asked if it's good or bad for college basketball. And, 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 and this is not a metaphor that's going to work very well for a Kentucky fan because if you're, because I mean, you're not getting in the Wildcats, exactly what you would want to have the season be. But in in the general picture, I look at college, the college basketball season like I do a Christmas present, and and so I'm I'm thankful for my Christmas presents. I don't say, "Gee, I would have rather had Kansas or whatever." I, I'm I'm happy for what I get. So if if this is what we get now, I, like I said, obviously for a UK fan, this is not what you want. It's not the this is not an ideal year, but in, in a general sense, I, I don't worry about the idea that we're missing a particular team or teams. It's still going to be entertaining. It's still going to be thrilling. And, and it's still, and, and, and for the, you know, for the first time in two years, we're going to have an actual tournament. You know, if Kentucky could have, uh, if you look at their schedule, if they had just beaten Auburn and Georgia last month, they'd be sitting here in a position where they could finish the year strong and get to, uh, a game or two above 500 at the end of the regular season, and I think have a would have had an NCAA tournament at large case because of how, as you've pointed out, their non-conference schedule looked versus a lot of others. 
Uh, I just wonder, you know, it's it's going to be a uh, all of these years are challenging for the committee, but this year probably more so because you've had you know so many teams that have played varying numbers of games. And you didn't have as many games in the preseason, so some chose the harder path as Kentucky did, where you were playing uh, almost all quality opponents, uh, high quality opponents, or you know, power fives, etc. Whereas, uh, as, as you pointed, I think you used the example of Texas Tech; they played you know right. Houston and a, and six six uh, very low rated teams. So. Um, you know, Kentucky would have had seven more of those games, and uh, Tech would have had seven more chances, and you know the, the the lines would have come a little closer to intersecting, but they didn't in this year. Right, exactly, and, that, and I think that's, you know, I think it's going to be a, a significant statement by the committee on what they value, especially considering that some of the things they ordinarily uh, they they can they can sort of uh, they can look at a, at a picture and say, well, we really care about this. And then over here, well, we really care about that, too. But when you have a smaller picture, it's harder to define those things. It's harder to separate those things. And, and I think it's really interesting, and I wrote about this the other day, the idea of what do you do with teams like Indiana and Seton Hall and Maryland and Penn State that are all teams that are, on, that are slightly to one side of 500 or the other? In, in a universe when, in, in the 35 years of the expanded bracket, which started in 1985, when they first went to 64 teams, we've had 1,215 at-large teams make the field since then, and only two that made it in as low as two games over 500 in that entire 35-year history. And now you're looking at, a, 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 perhaps, multiple teams in fitting that description making it this year and maybe going below that maybe going to a 500 team or one over and i think it's going to be very interesting to see whether they're willing to to break that precedent i think they'd rather not have to i think they'd rather that all of those teams basically say okay we're in or we're out so we're either four games below or three games above and so then they don't even have to think about it but if they are forced to think about it i'll be fascinated to see what decisions they make Let's get back uh, to Kentucky tomorrow. They face uh, Auburn and uh, a chance. You know, it, we were just talking with our, our previous guest. Kentucky has certainly uh, played some good, very good stretches against good opponents, but at some point to, to keep your confidence, you have to break through and get some wins. So it's another chance tomorrow against a team they could have easily beaten down at Auburn last month. They did a good job on Sharif Cooper for uh, for most of that game, but Flanagan was the guy that killed them. Right. It, it, that, Auburn has not been as strong. Uh, that that was one of uh, that was one of their last great performances. They have not played quite as well since they did beat Vanderbilt last time out, but that doesn't necessarily require uh, a great performance. But after they beat UK and then and then they won at South Carolina and beat Missouri in an upset, uh, they lost to Baylor, they lost to Georgia, they lost to Ole Miss. Two of those games were at home, so they have not played as well since. Uh, they since they since they beat the Wildcats, uh, so I, you know, I I think it's it's a game in which you have to control Cooper. Uh, he's one of the really dynamic players in college basketball. You have to turn him into a shooter the best you can. You have it, it, it's not easy to keep him out of the lane. I get that, uh, but you you have to you have to give him room to to take those shots and live with maybe one or two going in because the odds say that. 
four or five are probably not. And if he starts, to, you know, if he makes three, then you know that's nine points, and then you then you adjust. But I think you have to try to stay, try to give him some room uh, to to shoot the basketball and do everything you can to try to get him out of the lane because if once he gets in the lane. He really tears your defense apart because he he can do so many different things when he's there. He can he he has such great vision, uh, such great dexterity, the ability to finish in so many ways. So the the number one thing you have to do is try to keep him out of the lane. And I think that some of the teams that have had success against them lately have had have been able to to try to constrict him from from getting into the lane and, and doing that kind of damage. Yeah, I think he's twenty four and a half percent from three point range. So you're definitely playing the percentages if you can uh, convince him to take a few of those. Yeah, I mean, it, with when you you look at that, he's twenty four and a half percent. Um, and but then for, and from an assist standpoint, he's averaging nine assists a game. How does he get nine assists a game? He does it because you you get too tight. He gets past you, and then. He sees everything. He yeah. sees the, the shooters that are stationed in the corner. He sees the slashers that are coming from the high post. He sees the cutters down. He sees it all. If he was a shooter, I mean, if he was like a legit 38, 39% shooter, he'd be in the, he'd be in the hunt for the number one pick in the draft. He's yeah. that gifted. Yeah. He's, I love watching him, uh, uh operate in space. Uh, he's a, a beautiful, uh, passer. Mike, thank you much. We'll talk next Friday. You bet, Tom. Thank you. At TSN Mike on Twitter. We'll be right back to wrap up this edition of the Leach Report. The Stan Wildcat History presented by the new Rave On app. Uh, it's actually a note from tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow's the anniversary of a game in 1951 in which Kentucky beat Xavier 78-51. to How about this stat line for Bill Spivey? 40 points and 34 rebounds. Happy birthday to Josh Harrelson. Happy birthday to Bud Dupree. Uh, birthday we missed yesterday. One of the great nicknames, Baby Magic, Leroy Bird. So a belated happy birthday to uh, Leroy. That's going to do it for this edition of the Leach Report. Uh, Kentucky-Auburn tomorrow. We'll be back to talk about that and more with you on Monday. Have a great weekend and uh, stay safe from the uh, weather and the COVID this weekend. Good luck. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom, email it to leechreport at gmail.com.